Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Friends, we are coming to the end of the Lenten season, and so we have one final I shouldn't say final because I might do this series again in the future, but talking with people about their faith journeys. I've sat down with many members of the Bethany staff and allowed them to tell me their story of their walk of faith, some significant moments. And it's been fun to listen to their stories and then to piece together in conversation the ways that different things connect. Today I'm bringing on Colleen Mackey. Colleen serves as the coordinator of media here at Bethany Lutheran Church, and Colleen has had some incredible experiences, and the two of us sit down to talk about that together, as you know how this works in the Faith Journey Conversations. But I'm going to turn it over to Colleen in just a second here. But first, thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast. Please um, share this with friends. Uh, Feel free to uh, leave us a like or a rating on iTunes Store that helps other people find the podcast. And just continue listening. We really appreciate your support. But now I'm turning it over to Colleen and our conversation about Colleen's faith journey. everybody. Welcome to the Together for Good podcast. Thanks for listening. I am continuing with these faith journey conversations and today sitting with me is Colleen Mackey. Colleen is the coordinator of media here at Bethany Lutheran Church. Hi Colleen. Hi Nate. Thank you so much for sharing your faith story with us today. We're going to just go through it. I'm going to give you the floor. You can talk about it. I'll interrupt you at different points when I have further questions, but let's hear it. Take it away. Cool. Well, I grew up going to a small Lutheran church in northern Minnesota in a small town called Eveleth, about an hour north of Duluth. True story. Janet Mortensen knew where that was. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't know if you realized yes. that. Okay. She grew up in a small town also north of Duluth called Aurora. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. why. Um, probably smaller than Eveleth. Um, my grandmother was very involved in this church, and I went through Sunday school and confirmation and all kinds of things there, and I really felt rooted in community, in just, like, being held and Mm. centered in part of that world. Um, My grandmother was a big part of that church, volunteering, quilting, prayer chain, all kinds of things. So for most of my childhood in high school, I really thought of church as community. Church as community and grandma. (laughs) <laughs> and your grandma, what she modeled there was all of this caring for other people. Yes, it's she a... was a widow. Okay. And um, she was just so rooted in the community. She would take people to doctor's appointments, invite them over for Whoa. Scrabble, go to all these community concerts all around, drive people around. Um, she knew everyone in this like 30-mile radius. And her name was Mary, and she just modeled presence and community and within that seeing that i can understand now looking back having a deep appreciation i'm sure as well like this great connection to your grandmother so that's something important but like in the moment growing up did it seem like a place that you cared about did you just care about it because grandma cared about it did you just go because you had to i have really fond memories of sunday school as like a young person but I don't, I don't know. Um, My parents got divorced when I was in college, but things were Mm. kind of taking a turn when I was in high school. And I just felt like the church kind of didn't care. Wow. Um, 
maybe they didn't even know, but at the yeah. time I felt like they didn't care. And so I kind of felt like it didn't symbolize community anymore. And so that was really hard. I remember the the church newsletter that they used to mail out, they addressed it to my dad and my brother and not to me or my mom. It was Whoa. just an interesting, I don't know who decided to do it or what happened, but I remember that like sticking out to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Just being written out of the story. Yeah. And it was, I'm sure too, it was all the more traumatic because it seems like such an affront to how you had thought about your faith in church up until that point based on the, you know what your grandmother did. Is that fair? Definitely. And it felt like everything I had believed about church, like that it was a community to support you in the good and the bad, and it was um, a group of people that walked together, it just it didn't make any sense. No kidding. On top of the fact it was already a difficult time, I'm sure, in your life having to, you know, with the, with, uh, were your parents divorced at that point or that came later? With the newsletter? Yeah. Yeah, they were divorced, but I was living in college where I came home to visit yeah. my dad. And so it wow. was just like, well, what about me? I was baptized, confirmed, felt like a member of that church. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, so sorry. Okay. So did it get any better <laughs> in college? Like, <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I found like a really... A, a good home at my campus ministry called Christus Rex at the University of North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, I just happened upon this church. I thought it was a church, but it was actually a campus ministry, and I just got super involved. And they gave me a lot of opportunities to lead, and I found a really great passion for social justice. And so, um, yeah, I would say when I was like 19, 20 was when I really started connecting my faith to action in the world and kind of living like Jesus lived. Yeah. Um, they had a lot of interesting ministry connections, and um, I did this thing called Coffee with Colleen. Every week we had conversation and coffee, and we learned about, like, fair trade and different ways of using your buying power to support other people around the world. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and then I eventually became an intern at Christus Rex one year. And so I helped with programming. I led a spring break trip to Jackson Hole, Wyoming to do a couple of different Habitat for Humanity projects. In Jackson Hole, Wyoming? In Jackson. Really? Interesting. I, I mean, I maybe my picture of Jackson Hole is totally wrong, but uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, I'm thinking of like resort town. Well, I mean, people probably edged out of not being able to yeah. live there. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. It was really, it was fascinating because um, I don't know exactly how it happened. This was like 10 plus years ago, but I planned the trip and then it turned out that one of our pastors couldn't go with, so I like drove I handled all the money. I, like, was in charge of this group of college students. (laughs) As a college student. (laughs) As a college student. (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. And I was the only one old enough to drive the rental car. So it was, like, I was really in charge. (laughs) Wow. Cool. Okay. And then, I mean, so the connection with social justice, do you have any memory of how that exactly came about? Was this something that Christus Rex really emphasized? Or is it just, I mean, was it related to your studies at the university? Any thought about where that kind of came from? I think I always had, like, deep compassion for other people. I remember going on vacation to Chicago when I was maybe, like, eight. 
and I always wanted to get breakfast for this man who was outside the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad said, you know, we can do this, we can get breakfast for him, but, like, you can't help everyone. And in my head, I just was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think at Christus Rex, there was just enough of an inroad of, like, they're already doing some really great work, and they're really ro- rooted in the community. They did these, like, love feast meals and... Um, other kinds of service projects they were just really common there and I think it was well for one it was the first time I was really in charge of my own faith like I could decide if I wanted to go to church I could decide if I wanted to be involved um whereas I never felt like I was being like dragged to Sunday school or anything like that but it was just like I had to make an active choice to do it Mm -hmm. and everyone around me was was doing these service projects and it was just not an opportunity I think I had in the past to see like church doing volunteer work or church doing service projects. Interesting. Okay. Cause that was not an experience of your congregation growing up or at least not one that stuck for whatever. Not reason. one that stuck. Like I remember doing a couple of habitat days as a young person and I knew the prayer or the quilting circle sent quilts somewhere, but I, it wasn't really connected to like, helping the community. Interesting. Okay. Externally, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So you develop this passion for social justice connected to faith. People develop a passion for social justice all the time in college, and yet yours also had this unique faith component. Mm -hmm. And so then, if I remember correctly, it was after graduation you were part of YAGM, correct? Yes. The Young Adults in Global Mission. It's an ELCA service year program throughout the world. Go ahead and tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so I had gone to college thinking that I might apply to law school, so I had studied political science, religion, and women and gender studies, and when it came time to apply to law school, I just kind of decided not to do it. I didn't have a big plan, but I'd known several people who had done Yegum, so I decided to apply, and um, at that time, you were kind of asked to interview for two different countries Mm -hmm. and so it was Mexico and Hungary and um, I ended up getting placed in Mexico with a secular nonprofit called Dede Ser and it's the network for sexual and reproductive rights in Mexico. Wow. And so it's somewhat similar to Planned Parenthood but it's not really a clinic but it's it's localized so every state has one. And I was helping to do sexual education at different health fairs. And we drove to rural schools who didn't have, like, a health teacher or a science teacher who could teach sex ed. And then the nonprofit also helped people who needed abortions travel to go get those services. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you were really in the thick of it. And and how, I mean... I don't know a lot about the political environment of Mexico, so to speak. Like, how is that type of work received there? All of Not what you're doing? well okay, all that, the time. I didn't want to assume. <laughs> Especially when I was there in 2012, I don't believe abortion was legal in any state. They recently, in the past couple of months, um, just passed the legalization of abortion, which it's not entirely clear what that means in terms of access. So I was there in 2012, and it took them what, thir- 11 years of activism to do, to, to pass that. But when I was there, there were certain places in Mexico City where you could get an abortion, and there are certain people 
who were trained in the state I was in who could also unbelievable yeah and there was just financial barriers mostly um for like travel to those those places and it was really interesting because it was another experience for me that connected my faith to my activism and to social justice because there were like five other employees at this nonprofit and they had all kind of been burned by the church in some sort of way, either through really big myths around reproductive health or mm, discrimination based on their sexuality or gender identity. And they were kind of nervous about having me from the church come and work with them. Yeah. And so um, I read the ELCA's like, statement on abortion which is like 25 pages but it comes in spanish and english and it just helped me facilitate these really good conversations about like why i as a person of faith feel called to do this work Mm. um to create access to create education to create spaces where people can live into their identity interesting so you're i want i want to unpack that a little bit because you're talking about this in the sense of it helped you you know, the ELCA statement, um, I think for some people, helps them kind of understand that complicated issue um, from a faith perspective. But you're kind of talking about it in the way that you were then able to connect with secular individuals who were who were skeptical of the church. Yeah. It, it gave you language for that. Yeah, the social statement, I haven't looked at it recently, but it's really interesting in that it kind of lays out like three perspectives. Um people who are pro-choice, people who are in the middle, and people who are Mm -hmm. pro-life. And then it also has a pretty significant section on just caring for children, whether that's through adoption, fostering um, children in faith communities that might be marginalized. Um, And I felt like um, I'm probably a lot more liberal than your average ELCA person. But this statement allowed me to kind of say where theologically my, I was coming from. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the social statements, for those who haven't um, found them, there's some very, very good, and, and they take forever for the ELCA to create them because the ELCA is so intentional about the theological background, the sociological background, et cetera, et cetera in deriving these official statements of the church. But uh, yeah, I find them very compelling as well, albeit dense. Um, <laughs> so, but but within all this, um, right, like this is just kind of showing the way too, that your faith was still so much a part of it, right? You still felt a connection to way back to grandma's church, right? Like that you went to the ELCA social statements at that time. And obviously you had still been swimming in Lutheran circles and Yagam is a Lutheran ELCA program. Um, but within all of that, a, a, as you're as you're managing all this in really controversial situations, um, I, I'm really interested to hear too how you kind of talked to people who weren't from the church, right? Like that's a very compelling piece of what you were saying here. Say more a little bit more about that. Yeah. So what actually helped me there was discovering Catholics for choice because Mexico is a predominantly Catholic country, and. Um, I think it was just really hard because specifically the five people that I worked with had ha- had had very concrete experiences with the church where they had been burned, where they had been like 
um, shamed or damned or however you want to say it. And, um, and for you to show them a more compassionate, um, yeah, yeah, more compassionate approach was probably very jarring. And I don't think anyone had really listened to those experiences that was from the church in their context. Fascinating. Um, and I think, too, I saw work in, like, reproductive and sexual health as embracing everyone's God-given identity. Mm, mm-hmm. And even though they wouldn't have used that language, they probably would have said something more like just embracing the full spectrum of humanity or just embracing yourself as you are. I think that was something that really connected us because I wasn't trying to bifurcate, like, mm-hmm. sexuality from body or sexuality from church. Like, I did, and I really do see it as a holistic way of how we were created by God. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, cool. So this is Yagam. I'm sure we could, this is a whole nother podcast and that's what I'm trying to be wary of too. Keep going. What, right, so, but where I'm seeing there is that this further understanding of social justice, of treating people with compassion and care gets expanded in the Yagam experience. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then where does that lead you? So then I did some more traveling. I taught English for a year at a university in Spain. Um, I wanted to improve my Spanish language is really hard for me and so decided to go do that and I didn't really have a church home at that time it was really hard um, I met some Mormons that yeah they're <laughs> that had very little interest in like theological conversation it was more about conversion so that was kind of disappointing I met a nun that was really cool but was had to be in her. Mm-hmm. training most of the time um and then I moved back to Minneapolis where my mom was living at the time and I worked at a church at a campus ministry at the University of Minnesota um kind of doing some of their like social justice and outreach stuff and so I planned a another spring break experience around storytelling um listening to different storytellers in Minneapolis. Kind of like we're doing now. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I kept feeling this pull to go to divinity school, and I had a lot of mentors telling me that that's what I should do. Um, I thought that I was going to go to Harvard because I just had so many people who had gone there and so many people who said, like, that's the place for you. Mm. And so I ended up moving to Boston and working on a nonprofit and visiting Harvard divinity school and just feeling like, that wasn't you. my place. Interesting. Um, I was really rooted in a congregation there called University Lutheran um, and just felt really at home in that church, but um, had sat in on some classes in Har- at Harvard and didn't feel like it was me- for me. So I felt a little lost, and then I ended up learning about Vanderbilt Divinity School. Mm-hmm. Um, in Nashville, Tennessee. In Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> and I got in, and I got a full ride, and it was kind of... Um, just the next logical but step. But you you skipped over some pieces there, I'm sure. Because, like, so people telling you you should go to divinity school, you're kind of thinking about this. I know you mentioned before we started recording, you were thinking about ordination as well as a possibility, serving in the church in these ways. But that's, well, that's not a logical step. <laughs> a conclusion to come through of that. You like helping people. Your faith is important. You want to treat folks with care and compassion. 
I mean, tell me how you get from point A to point B. Well, I had really, um, I've always been really tied to the Lutheran understanding of baptism. Like every day, washed anew. Um, what am I trying to say here? So I had some conflicting thoughts about whether I should try to pursue ordination in word and service or word and sacrament. And so even though I felt really called to live out my faith, maybe in a nonprofit or maybe through a church, but not necessarily as a pastor, I also felt like there was something um, like deeply compelling about being able to do church, like lead church, lead worship, lead baptisms. Yeah. All kinds of stuff like that. And I um, thought that I was ready for that conversation before I went to divinity school. And when I met with my synod, just to like get more information, I realized it wasn't necessarily the best fit. And mm. I, I wasn't necessarily ready to enter into it that way. And so I always kind of thought in divinity school, I would feel a stronger pull to go back to that process. And every time I tried to think about it, I just um, got kind of hung up on all the the containers around mm, okay. ordination. And there are many boxes yep. to check and hoops to jump through. <laughs> Um, well, I identify as genderqueer, so that came up a lot. I didn't know how that would be received um, through a call committee. I was living with my partner and having sex, um, which I didn't know how that would be received at all. So there was just a lot of fear around it, and I think it was something I just sat, sat down for a long time. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it was part of a big part of my discernment and and vocational call to go to Vanderbilt as I thought I would possibly seek ordination, but it, I didn't end up doing that. Okay. But so then within your time at Vanderbilt, you sort of refined this sense of call as well, I would assume. Yeah, I leaned really hard into um, this call to teaching. And so some of my field ed was um, a graduate teaching assistant um, for some they're actually English classes, but they were about writing spiritual memoir and dreams. So like Carl Jung and different stuff like that. It's Whoa. just really interesting. Um, I was able to kind of flourish in that space. And I did an internship at a church where I led some like adult education and just felt myself really pulled towards teaching. And so I thought I might go on to get a PhD. Um, didn't hmm. end up doing that but that's still, still time some, yep still time still something that's very much on the front of my of my mind um I enjoy learning and teaching and discovering and I never was kind of like a traditional learner and so I felt like I had good creative gifts to do teaching that might access or that might be accessible for different kinds of people now where did you we've been talking so much about um social justice care and compassion for others and community how did you how do you see that fitting into education since it seems like that's where your passion kind of refined um through div school how do you see those fitting together i think that there's so many um ways that the church just like 
can limit what we see mm. of the world. And um, even though I enjoyed Sunday school, I don't necessarily remember learning like concrete things about the Bible in mm-hmm. Sunday school or things that I like pulled with me um, from like age five to today. Sure. Um, and I think in some of my college courses, I had professors who did things differently, who taught differently, and I felt I was able to embody my own learning style mm-hmm. in a way that I never really had before. Oh, wow. Okay. And so for me, I feel like education, or at least my perspective on it, is another way of allowing people to embrace how they were made by God. Yeah. Um, I think some of my schooling was just really limiting and how people learn and what people learn. Yeah. And I also think, you know, each person has gifts. Mine seem to be for teaching and creativity, sort of. And so we're not, like, glorifying God by not living out our gifts. Yeah, well said. Really well said. And I, I think, too, right, like, education just opens so many more doors for folks as well in terms of their ability to understand their, especially like theological education, I just think has so many gifts to give to people in the sense of allowing folks to see their God-given uniqueness um, and how it fits into the larger puzzle. Like all that sense of care and compassion that you're talking about, the more we learn about the world, the more we learn about our neighbors, the more we learn about the intricacies of ourselves and our psychological makeup, right? Like all of that just, I think, fits in this great tapestry, you know, that you've been describing all along of helping people um, feel cared for, part of a community, connected and as beloved. Yeah, and I think, too, something that really energizes me about education and teaching is like planting seeds. You never know what part of God's plan that you're playing by mm. giving someone some new information or allowing them to just ruminate on something you might have said or might have taught. Yeah. Well said. Well said. So I know you did s- several things after completing the Masters of Divinity degree at Vanderbilt mm-hmm. Divinity School. What ones do you... I'm wondering, are there any ones in particular of the your many and varied experiences after Div School that you think kind of fit within, you know, this formation of your sense of faith today that you've kind of been describing all along? Yeah, well, I ended up working as a case manager for the Tennessee Conference of the United Methodists. Um, there was a tornado that went through Nashville, where I was living, and this um, part of the Methodist Church has... Um, a lot of great gifts in disaster response. And so it was in the middle of the pandemic. um, And I didn't even think I was going to apply to the job, but I did. And I ended up really loving it. I worked with folks to rebuild their home. I worked with folks who were displaced um, and lost all of their things. I worked with folks who didn't have insurance. I worked with FEMA. It was just really wide and varied, the work that I did. But at that time, I reconnected with my church in Boston because it was the pandemic, so I could visit with them mm-hmm. Attend online. online. Uh-huh. And so um, it really felt like a calling back to the Lutheran 
church, Lutheran space. Right, because what the nomination is Vanderbilt? They are historically Methodist, but ecumenical. Ecumenical now, okay. Mm-hmm. And I had been attending a progressive Baptist church called Glendale Baptist, part of the Alliance of Baptist. Neat. Um, in Nashville, and it was a great church, and I loved most of my experience there, but it's not... Um, it doesn't have the same framework of liturgy as Lutherans do, and um, I wasn't real excited about going to church online, but I ended up just going back to University Lutheran for one week and just found a really good sense of home there, and I felt like um, the preaching was just really speaking to my experience of trying to um, make a difference in these tornado survivors, um, life. And I love how that too connects, right? Like you hearing the preaching of the gospel connects to your work of social justice, you know, of helping these people who are in need after a natural disaster, which has been your experience all along. Yes. Like, that's really neat to just see those pieces come together like that. Yes, and it felt like it was just this God this God moment of, like, this is how I'm going to feed you. Um, mm. Like, I just remember seeing the email. I think they come in, like, really early Sunday mornings, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to go to that. And then I did. And yeah. I drank my coffee, and I had a tortilla chip and mango juice for communion, and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and what a good reminder too, I I do think that this is a thing that the church often misses is that you need both. Like you need the, the spiritual fulfillment, like that connection, that filling up sense in order to do the work of social justice And, and, you know, and like to do that well and to do that faithfully and to not get burnt out on it, which happens so often. I really think you need that spiritual grounding a lot of the time. I'm not saying that you can't do social justice work without a faith connection, but I do think that that functions really well as a system. Definitely. And I think for me, it was something that I was craving and that I needed so badly, but I couldn't articulate it just like many of the things in the pandemic took from us. Yeah. Community. So all that, okay, that's really fascinating and that's a helpful perspective. But then, I mean, I know there's a lot of wide and varied experiences that bring you here today to Bethany Lutheran Church in Denver, Colorado. You have family out this way. Yes, That's I a big have part. my brother and his partner, Liz, Luke and Liz, and their two kids, Leah and Lucy. Um, and so they're my nieces, and my partner, Nick, all of his family lives here. And so it just felt like kind of a logical um, thing to try and make it work here. And I was really trying to find a job in a church. I felt that calling. Um, it was a little bit hard, but... Um, Nick actually found this position and he was reading off the Thanks, qualifications <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've got, I've got, I've got, oh, I'm qualified in that too. And so, um, I applied and didn't hear anything and it did of, take us a long time. <laughs> kind of figured it was uh, not going to happen. <laughs> but then, um, after I interviewed, I, I thought about it a lot, um, and felt like just a really big push to, to join the team. Awesome. And how do you feel? I mean, so as I'm listening to your whole story, you grow up and you watch your grandmother um, just bring incredible compassion and care for people in her congregation that you attended as well. 
and this sense of community was a big marker of it and then it just feels like every step along the way is kind of an expanding of that experience and a new movement if we're going to use a musical analogy of that original theme that you saw and so talk today as you think about your life of faith about community and care and compassion for others that you first learned from your grandma x number of years ago how are you seeing that in your life now well, I think through my work at Bethany, um, I'm able to invite people into a space of community and of theologically grounded thinkers and um, a space where you can rest, where you can be fed by the gospel. And um, I think I enjoy this work because I feel like it's creative but I can also be very intentional about how how Bethany is reaching out to not just this community, but the larger community. Mm-hmm. Um, I also am still doing volunteer work. I enjoy um, learning about different topics and learning about how I have privilege as a white person and how I can use like my economic buying power to impact other people in a just and God-pleasing way. Um, I think, like, there's been so many chapters in my story and there's so many more to come, but that thread of community and of social justice will always be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope so. I think as people of faith that those are two incredibly important parts of what Christ calls us to do and to be in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes they're the ones we forget, and especially with COVID, that community piece, I feel like, is really hard to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's nice to be coming out of that. But, well, and I think we felt how essential that is. Definitely. During it. Even though you you can find community online, (laughs) you can find that kind of connection, um, you know, through a live stream or whatever else, but... Uh, yeah, there's just something more when people are in a room. And, and to furthermore, when people are serving together, mm-hmm. that that's also incredibly powerful, right? Leading mission trips or, you know, I'm sure you had other Yagam volunteers who were with you down there. Yeah, there were eight of us in, yeah. in that town, in that area. Yeah. Well, Colleen, anything more to add for our loyal listeners? No, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm so glad that you are here and all of the gifts that you bring to this space. Thank you for sharing so much of your story with us and your talents and your gifts with us. Sincerely, I'm really glad to have you here at Bethany. And you, uh, podcast listeners, I'm thankful for you as well. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Stay in peace, everyone.